My name is Showers, and I'm a member of the tribe, which is the Young Adults Life Group here at Christchurch Midrand. And tonight I'll be reading Jonah chapter 3 and 4. Jonah chapter 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that, and he, asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of God. 
just want to say thank you uh, for the opportunity to come and uh, just fellowship with you tonight and also just open the word and, um, and hear from God's words together. Just want to repeat that verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he will do to them, and he did not do it. Let me just pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us. We know, Lord, that uh, we didn't deserve any of it, but because of your grace and your love and mercy, you gave us your only son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place. Thank you, Father, that you are God full of mercy and grace. You forgive sins, and you give us wonderful gift of salvation. And thank you, Lord, as uh, we come together here, I just pray, Lord, that to help me and help all of us here to hear your word to, to, to this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Looking at this story of Jonah uh, together tonight, I don't know about you, I don't know how many times I've read the book of Jonah. And every time when I read the book of Jonah, uh, new questions come up in my mind. They come up about this messenger, this God's worker, this prophet, uh, who is Jonah, who seemed to not wanting to do what God has called him to do. And I'm sure that he's got his own reasons for doing that. But if we have a good understanding of who God is, especially in the context of the Old Testament, um, I struggle to understand how the prophet will disobey and go to a different direction. But when we go through the book of Jonah, uh, we see God's grace right through the pages. In fact, I think every verse of uh, this book of Jonah, all the four chapters, it's God's grace and mercy and his concern for people. So I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word God or even the word grace and mercy. What does it mean really that God is God of mercy? And we found this in Jonah chapter 4. We're going to focus the 50% of our time looking at Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 to the end of the book. But the beginning we'll spend another 50% all over the place just trying to understand what is happening here in this book. So it is in Jonah chapter 4 where we read of God who is merciful, but we also learn about this prophet, Jonah, who struggled with his God. Just think about that for a moment. And yet in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, Jonah reminds us of how God saves and that he is a just God. He's a God who hates evil, he hates wickedness, he hates sin. And all sinners before him deserve his holy judgment. Just think about for a moment. And I don't know about you, but that is me. Because there's nothing that I did to deserve to be called his son. I deserve punishment because of my sins. But yet, because of his love, grace, and mercy, he forgave me. And he gave me this gift of salvation. And I believe that that is you too. 
So we learn that yet God is a merciful God. For all who turn from their sin and trust in him, those who believe in him, he will relent and save them from the judgment from sin and show them his mercy. So many people like to think that God of the Old Testament is a very different God from the God of the New Testament. They seem to think that God of the Old Testament is full of anger, wrath, justice. While the God of the New Testament, we hear a lot of these words, loving, kind, merciful, gracious. But reading the book of Jonah, we see a different character, a God who is loving, a God who is ready to forgive. So what we really need to see from the, the Bible, whether it's Old Testament and New Testament, is an account of this wonderful, incredible, gracious, loving and merciful God. So recently, if you, you know, I've been um, looking at this book of Jonah um, while I was uh, traveling away. It's one of the books that God just placed in my heart to, to just read for myself my own devotion, uh, study this book. And I don't know how many times in the past month or so I have read the book. Even back in our family devotion, twice we have gathered together and just went through reading the book of Jonah. It's easy. You can take about 10 minutes and read the whole chapters. But what I couldn't miss as, we, as, as, as I read the book of Jonah, even as I sat with my family back in Cape Town, is that God's grace and mercy jumped out from the pages right from the beginning of the book. And it's easy to miss it if we are not paying attention. It's easy to miss it if our focus is on other things, especially focusing on Jonah and forgetting that it is about our God and focusing God. Well, one beautiful thing that I'll never forget when I was a student was to be told that in every story in the Bible, God is behind it. He is working. He is doing something. So we see the grace of God, we see the mercy of God in many multiple ways throughout this book. And I'm hoping that tonight we can just journey together in seeing that grace, that mercy. But also he's concerned for all people. Not just for you and me seated here. Not just for Jonah and the people that he belonged to, the Jews or the Hebrews or the Israelites but for all people. So the, prim the, 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 the primary theme that I see here as we look at God's mercy and grace is that the Lord is, God, is, is, is a God of boundless compassion, not just for us only. When I planted a church, we were talking with, um, I can't remember, I think uh, earlier, about the church plant in Kailisha. It came a time when we were so comfortable and uh, after two years, the church was cut, it was a nice vibe, and we had a meeting, and people were telling me, saying, Fundis, stop inviting other people. Those people are going to come and disrupt our peace here. <laughs> well, um, by God's grace, I said, no, that's not what God has called us to do. But I think sometimes all of us will do that. Because we enjoy to be together. Because we, say, we speak the same language. We understand one another. And those people, those people out there, you know, they are different from us. And sometimes we feel that they deserve God's wrath. They deserve God's punishment. And we fail to understand 
that God at one stage loved us and we didn't deserve it, and he came for us. So in this book of Jonah, there are two main pictures that I see which display this God's mercy. One is that Jonah, God is using Jonah. Jonah is the object of God's compassion throughout the book. I think we need to mark that. And, and pagan sailors and pagan Ninevites are the benefactors of his grace, compassion, and mercy. So those are the two things that we see, really. There are other details that we will not be able to cover tonight, but for me, those two things stood up, especially if we look at this God who is full of grace, who is loving, who is caring. And for us, for you and me today, who has given you and me his only son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to die in my place, to die in your place, so that we become his. But the story also teaches us God's sovereignty over the creation. We see here God appointing the fish, Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. We see God here raising the plant, Jonah chapter 4 verse 6. But he appoints the worm to teach Jonah a lesson, verse 7 of chapter 4, and the east wind to also teach Jonah a lesson in verse 8 of chapter 4. And all these were appointed by God to display in a way that perhaps difficult for us to understand his loving kindness. Even towards Jonah, who have several times in this story disobeyed him, angry with him, and didn't want to do what God has called him to do. The other themes that we don't have time to follow this evening that we found in this book, it's God's sovereign control over events on the earth. God's determination to get his message to the nations, no matter what. And I just want to stop here. Just think about it. Think of the story of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He heard his reasons. He does tell us in chapter 4. And the scholars and the writers, they tell us other reasons that perhaps Jonah does not necessarily show us here in, in these four chapters. But Jonah had a good reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to those people. But one good lesson for me is that when, when God is appointing us, and if you are that person, God will work through you. Another theme that comes out from this book, we see the clear need for repentance from sin. We see the need for repentance from self-centeredness and hypocrisy. Because even though we now know God's grace and we are his followers, we could still be self-centered and not understand what God is doing in his world. Why God, is, why God has loved you and saved you. And the same God, he wants those people. And some of those people are people who have hurt us. Are people who have done evil things to us. I don't know what is your experience with people. In 1994, before uh, elections uh, to bring democracy in South Africa, two of, very, my close two of my very close family 
were killed and shot during the time we called the decade of crisis in Wazuru Natal. One of them was my sister, and one of them was my cousin from my father's side. It was difficult. And it wasn't me, it wasn't my doing, but I remember when the message came home from my sister, four o'clock in the morning, and God just said to me, Siegfried, pray and forgive them. How do you forgive people that you don't even know? And a few weeks after her funeral, one thing that I thank God for was the people that uh, I wouldn't have approached and shared the gospel with him. They came for the funeral. Because it was a political, you know, death. And a lot of people high up in politics, both from IFP and ANC during that time in Wazirunta, they came to the funeral. And they heard the gospel preached very clearly. So you might have your own experience of how people have hurt you. And I know it's difficult when you've been hurt. But even more difficult when I say to us here, including myself, that those people who have done evil things to us, God wants them saved. He wants them to hear the same message. Well, another thing that we find here in the book of Jonah, it's so well structured. We're not going to look at all these structures, but if you look carefully in these four chapters, we look at three episodes that parallel each other. The first one beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, when God called Jonah and commissioned him, and Jonah, you know, does his ways and goes his other direction, and it comes again in chapter 3, and God repeated he recommissioned it. And both those commissions, they are followed by different response from Jonah. The first one was to go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. But chapter 3, beautiful thing is happening to Jonah. I think he came to his senses for a while and said, well, this God is not going to let me go my own way. And he prayed a prayer of repentance. And God heard that prayer. But we found John again, you know, after he has gone to Nineveh and preached, he's still the same old Jonah. So Jonah directly disobeys God. Jonah is called to go to that, uh, to, to go and call out against that great city, Nineveh. And Jonah's reaction is not a positive one. What does he do? He heads up to a ship to go to the opposite direction. It's obvious Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. And we know that the Ninevites were evil people. Maybe that's one reason. At least we are told in Jonah chapter 1. Because the first commissioning, he says, go to that city. Let me read John, John chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So at least we know that they were evil. And maybe that's why Jonah didn't want to go to them. There are other theories that we learn from other people who write and research about Jonah, this book of Jonah, why Jonah didn't want to go. Because they are evil, which has reached out to God's heart's heart. We are told not here, and I cannot confirm that, that they had killed many prophets who have been sent by the Lord. 
So Jonah directly disobeys God. And here's the first act of mercy. When we look at the prophets of the Old Testament, what happens to them if they don't do what God has tasked them to do? They, 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 they are punished. They, they, they are killed. But God here, he spared Jonah. He showed his grace and mercy towards Jonah. How did he do that? He causes a storm to come, and it looks difficult for the ship and the crew there, just because of Jonah who was running away. He called a storm. And the crew is obviously afraid that they headed for death. And would God have just, been, uh, have just killed Jonah and the entire crew? No, he didn't do that. He showed Jonah and the crew mercy. Speeding forward because of time. The crew, when they were afraid, they prayed to their idol gods. And the gracious God still spares their lives. Till they come around. The, the, the last prayer that the crew prayed was, Lord, we, we, we're going to take this man. We're going to throw this man into this deep sea. Please, Lord, his blood must not be on our hands. But at that time, because Jonah has responded to them, he has told them that he is a Hebrew. He is a God-fearer. They have learned that this God of Jonah is different. Well, maybe another place to pause for us a little bit and reflect on that. What does it mean, really, that people will come to know your God through the way you live your life as a Christian? You know, the sad thing, brothers and sisters, is that sometimes we Christians, we live so recklessly that people, they turn and say, well, I don't want to follow that God. Look at them. And I'm not meaning to want you to feel bad and guilty about what I'm saying now. But it is, it means that when the grace of God has come upon our lives, we strive to live for God. In the way we speak, in the way we act, in the way we think, in our relationships, at home, with our families, those who are married between husband and wife, those who've got children between parents and children, and the community at large. Do people see God in you? And this crew here, they did. And listen to their prayer here uh, they, uh, in verse 14 they, of chapter 1. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. At the last part of that verse. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you, as it pleased you. What was the result of all of this Jonah running away and the crew and the storm? What happens? Well, the men came to fear the Lord. They came to understand who this God is. And they they offered sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows. Look at verse 16 there, chapter 1. And these men now worshipped the true and living God. God, instead of killing them and wiping them out, the face of the earth, he shows them his grace and mercy. And he reveals himself to them. He saves them. Number two, they throw Jonah into the sea and the storm goes away. 
immediately. So Jonah is cast into the sea, and God, instead of giving him what he deserves, allow this big fish to deal with him and teach him a lesson. There's more grace and mercy that God shows to Jonah. He's being spit out by, by the fish. These are the things that uh, maybe for you young people who understand what happens there in the belly of the fish, you can help me. I don't understand. I only know that God is, is a gracious God. He's a sovereign God. Because inside there for three days, he came out unharmed. Thirdly, Jonah goes to Nineveh and does what God commanded him to do. The second commission in chapter 3, he now obeyed. So Nineveh, including their king, where we started reading in chapter 3. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not me, eh? So, so Nineveh, including their king, repents after hearing Jonah's declare God's warning. What does God do? He shows entire, the entire city grace, uh, city grace and mercy. And as we've learned from chapter 3, verse 10, he relents of the justice he was going to execute upon them. And this is our God. So this city was huge, explained in two places, chapter 1, verse, beginning of chapter 1 and beginning of just, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3. And we are told that it would have taken three days to walk through the city. But we are told that the first quarter of Jonah walking, and I think Jonah was declaring perhaps in, in anger, because he knew that I cannot trust this God. This God will change his mind. He wanted these people to be beaten, to be punished for who they are. Well, as I said before, we do not know, we don't have the details of what exactly they, will be, they were doing, but we know one thing, that whatever they were doing did not honor God, and that's why God sent this warning, that the city would be overthrown in 40 days, and God did not even need to warn them, but he did. He didn't have to show them this grace and mercy, but God did. So the book of Jonah is full of God's grace and mercy, and it is a story that we need to hear. It is a story that should impact us in our thinking, in our hearts, as God's people, but also as we relate to people in the world. And when I'm talking about the world, I'm not talking about people out there. I'm talking about people that are close by to us. If you are a student here, I'm talking about those people that you are a student with. I'm talking about those people perhaps who are our lecturers. I'm talking about those people in your neighborhood. I'm talking about those people who look down upon you because you are a Christian. And there are many other reasons. But those are the people that God wants you to display his grace to them. So the lesson we learned here from Jonah was that he was sent, given a message to save the people of Nineveh, but instead he rebelled against God's commands. Uh, Jonah, however, points us, uh, as he did to the Ninevites, to God and to the Savior. We found some similarities here. Uh, you can find time if you have time to read Matthew 12. Uh, 
Jesus himself claiming that Jonah was a prophet, but he goes further than that. You know, the, the sign of Jonah, I'll leave that, you know, to be your bad night reading tonight. But it's a wonderful confirmation of Jesus knowing this story that we are reading here tonight. Who are those people in your life? Who are those people that are needing to hear the gospel? We were talking about evangelism here, Elo. And evangelism is just such a, a thing that we Christians just do it because we take the box. I think for me, it's the way to take the gospel to those who are living and dying without knowing him. Why do we do that? It's because we want to share this grace and this message. We want them to know that God loves them, that he cares for them. We want them to know that no matter what, our Lord Jesus Christ has died for them. Like you and me, we know that he died for us. Well, let's kind of, let's come to uh, the last chapter, chapter, chapter four, and uh, wrap up. There are a couple of things I want to point out here uh, from chapter four. It, it actually begins in verse 10, where Jonah introduces this chapter, chapter four, by the statement that he's making there in chapter 3, verse 10. And I think that statement for me, it jumps up. It's, it's the core of what we know about the gracious God who has relented and never allowed me to die in my sin. Earlier when I told you and he was asking me that uh, I'm a traditional Zulu boy. A traditional Zulu boy, all what he knows is to go and pray through ancestors to burn the incense. There was no way that I would have known God if it was not because of his people who came and loved me enough to share the gospel. So my brothers and sisters, you, me, all of us, we are here to be that witness. So the first thing that we see here from verse 1 to 4 of chapter 4 is the contrast to God's mercy by his messenger, Jonah the prophet. And Jonah, of all people, he gets mad. I, I want to read the words here in chapter 4, and I don't know what your translation says. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And we know that in this chapter, we find those phrases almost three times. Jonah being very angry. But here he is angry because God has relented and shown mercy to the Ninevites. And once again, instead of giving Jonah what he deserves, what does God do? He gives him an object lesson about his grace, mercy, and sovereignty. So here in chapter 4, here in verse 1, we see this many uh, translations and uh, people who have commented on this verse. Anger here is not just something that, is, that comes easily and go. It's a very strong anger. And the anger was no longer towards the Ninevites. He's a very interesting character. He's angry. Because God is God of mercy. 
Why? We have read chapter 3. Because God has relented from his anger. And in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, we read of earlier events as told from Jonah's perspective. Let me read chapter 3, chapter 4, verse, three and, uh, verse 2 and 3. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, and here, for the first time, he's giving us a reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He says, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. You have too much good for me, Lord. And God replies, verse 4. Do you do well, Jonah, to be angry? What is his response? Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it, uh, under it uh, in the shade till he should see what will become of the city. So if you look at the parallels here, in chapter 1, he, 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 we read that he flee from the presence of the Lord. And beginning of chapter 3, he realized that, well, look, I need to do this. There's no other way. But he's still angry. And he's telling, God is telling us here today that the reason he fled was because he knew that this God is a holy God, is a gracious God, is full of love and mercy. He's uh, abounding in steadfast love. And he relents from disaster. But what is this act of going outside the city? And sitting there and built a booth for himself. What is this picture that Jonah is portraying to us? Well, I can think of the word exile. You know, Jonah is exiling himself from God's presence, from God's mercy. We need to be careful because the, the Bible doesn't really tell us the end of the story. We, do, we are not told how Jonah responded to, you know, to all this. So, I don't know if we'll see Jonah in heaven. I don't know. But the lesson for me is that it's easy for us to think that, oh, no, I'll seek for it. No, uh, I'm better than Jonah. But maybe there are, little, there are small Jonas in our lives. Maybe there are little Jonas there in the corner of our lives. You, do you know the word toy toy? Maybe we do toy toy a little bit. We toy toy against God. We don't want to do what he's calling us to do. And maybe because we don't love those people. You know, in South Africa, we know of xenophobia. In South Africa, there are still places where race is a big issue. In South Africa, we see different political parties on trot from one another. We are such a divided, struggling nation. But you and me are God's ambassadors. Even in those contexts where everybody says, no, we cannot stand this. We cannot stand these people. We cannot stand these criminals. I live in Musingbeck. Just up the road, there's a, a Cape Flats, those who know Cape Town. 
and the kind of crime that takes place there. We hear about it every day. How young children are snatched and raped. How women are beaten, raped, abused. In South Africa, we're on top of the world with gender-based violence. What is the problem? Is it not the problem of sin? If God gives us his grace and mercy and go and gospel every person in South Africa, the hearts will be changed like these people of Nineveh. I know that it's God who's doing it. He's doing it in his time like he did in your, in your life, he did it in my life. But our thing for us, for us is to obey and do what we believe God is calling us to do. The gospel being the center of our own lives. We might struggle with some other areas of our lives. And there are really struggles out there, I know that. But what is your attitude towards God and his, and his word? Do you fully understand that he's full of grace and mercy? And that because you have seen him in your own life. Number two, verse five, and nine, verse five to, to verse nine, provision of God's mercy. So Jonah went out to the city and said to the east of the city and made a booth for himself, verse 5. And while he was sitting there in exile and hit by uh, uh, the heat and all of that, God comes and showed him his mercy by, by this plant that God appointed to grow and form a shelter. So I, I think in this lesson there are two things. I see God's loving kindness towards Jonah, but Jonah is still not repentant. And Jonah wanted, and God wanted to teach him a lesson. In the morning, the plant was gone. He appointed a worm, and it took, and the plant died. And for the second time, Jonah became very angry. Now he's angry for the plant that he didn't plant, and he's angry for this plant that he didn't even know where it came from. And, and God is asking him in verse 9, do you do well to be angry for the blunt? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. His whole life is absorbed by this anger that he's struggling to stop and understand the heart of God. The heart of God for him as his prophet, but the heart of God for the people of Nineveh as God has shown his heart to the crew. Uh, lastly, let's look at this heart of God's mercy, the last two verses. And the book ends with God questioning and even mocking Jonah. Jonah cares for the blunt, but this is what we learn from verse 11, God cares for the cows and the people. God wanted to show Jonah the extent of his mercy and Jonah's small heart. 
And this is because God cares for all people, including Jonah. Now, there are two things here before we wrap that I want us to see here in chapter 4. Because Jonah himself, he's a wonderful witness to this God. And of course, of course towards the end of, the, of chapter 4, God helps us to understand what we call the attributes of God, God's character. When we look at the beginning of chapter 4, uh, when he states the reason why he ran away, he says these words about the Lord. For I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. He knew that. And today he is a witness to us that this is the God that you and me have come to follow, have come to love, have come to serve. And God repeats his character towards the end of the chapter. Really, just just verse that I read, but I want to read verse 11 again. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also march cattle? It would be difficult for, for us to understand why God is mentioning cattle here, why cows are mentioned here. But God is stating that. He says, hey, there are 120,000 people there. And, and they are cattle. And they are belongings. But you, Jonah, is so frustrated now that I've taken away the blunt that I've given you. What are the thoughts that we need to perhaps think about as we reflect on this book of Jonah? As we think of God's grace and mercy. How do we respond to this book of Jonah? Well, in the New Testament, we read of the same God of mercy that has mercy on the Gentiles too. Romans chapter 15, verse 8 to 9. This will put away all doubts that God was only a God for a certain group of people. This has got nothing to do with the war that, what I've just said now, has got nothing to do with the war that is taking place in the Middle East. Okay. But I do want to say something about that. Because there's great suffering there in the Middle East. Whether you think of the suffering from the Palestinians or the suffering that is uh, from the Israelite, God's people, I don't think that God, when he looked at that suffering, his heart is happy. I think it grieved God. The things that we do, it breaks his heart. And, and, and beside going into politics, and I know that we Christians are divided into a way that we see that, that what's happening in the Middle East, beside that, and I don't want us to go to that, but I think there's one thing that is causing that problem, is the sinful heart that is causing people to go to war like that. And for me and for you, it means that you and me should be the witnesses to those people who are living and dying without knowing God. In Jude chapter 22, the same mercy is to be shown to those who struggle with doubt. Those who have experienced his mercy would also worship and praise God, just like Paul and others did. But what about those people? You know, you watch the statistics 
in South Africa, the statistics says we are 70 or more percent Christians. But we know that God-believing Christians in this country is very small. I don't know what's the, ex the, the exact percentage. But I think for me that's a challenge for all of us to say wherever I am, is God being glorified through my life? Am I a Christian witness because of what God did for me? Let me end by reading that hymn of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 towards the end there. I'll read from verse 12 to verse 16 or 17. And I'll end with this. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to be his service, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflows for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to, to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much, and may the Lord encourage all of us to love him so much that wherever we are, we shine for him.